Let's start the thing. Yeah, sorry, I was moving around. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can always, be, yeah, don't be afraid to speak up. Listeners, you're listening to another exciting episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. This is a podcast where we friends get together and talk about a horror movie, which we will spoil. First, we talk about recently watched, which we try not to spoil. And uh, we thank the Moonrays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. You can find the music on Apple Music or Amazon, where you can buy it digitally, and say hello to them on Facebook, where they are, the Moon-Rays. And we are not professional critics. We're just your hosts. I'm Richard. I'm here with Will. Good morning. And Jolien. Howdy. And Ziggy. Hello. Well, Ziggy... You like this kind of thing, don't you? Young people getting in danger and this supernatural. This strikes me as very slasher-y, <laughs> so I'll go with it. Yes, it has Good. the same feel. Good, I'm glad. It's like Scream without all the good stuff. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, we're going to talk about um, uh, Final Destination. Not the Final Destination. Nope. That weird, lazy thing they do with sequels. That's the fourth one. Yeah. Or the fifth one? I don't it, know. It's the fourth one, I think. And then there's the fifth one, Final Destination 5. And then there's like yes. a couple spin-off ones that are like yeah. The Last Ride or like yeah. <laughs> the next to Final Destination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that thing you did last summer? Well, uh, I still know about we it. We still know what you did last <laughs> summer. Yeah, that is just milked to death. Um, so recently watched, anyone got anything they want to talk about? Shall I go? Yeah, yeah, do it. All right. Uh, the Possession of Joe Delaney from 1972. Um, this is uh, directed by Wallace Hussein, who did the very first Doctor Who story back in 1962. Um, it's based on a novel by Romana Stewart from 1970. Uh, this stars Shirley MacLaine. Uh, she's a New York City Karen who's pulled into <laughs> Spanish Harlem by her brother's uncharacteristic behavior. Uh, heads get cut off. Uh, there's racism, racism, there's social inequality, there's incest, there's Santeria magic, uh, but it's all a bit boring. Something for everyone. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's played very, I, I think they're trying to do Rosemary's Baby, it's played very it's, uh, sort of uh, straight-facedly. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, I'm not, not, not keen on that one. It's got some very controversial things happen at the end of it. Uh, which I won't go into, but uh, it's quite disturbing. Oh, okay. Um, and I watched Scavenger Hunt. We were talking about uh, Clue last week. This is uh, one of those all-star zany cast comedy movies. Um, this now, is from 1979. Not zany like it's a mad, 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 mad world. Exactly like oh, that. Oh, it's like that. Oh, jeez. Uh, directed by Michael Schultz. Um, I watched this one because Vincent Price is in it. 
Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger turns up in it in an early role. So if you want to catch him, he plays the, uh, the guy who runs a gym. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a stretch. Sort of it's a stretch. <laughs> uh, yeah, so zany all-star comedy. I found it excruciating. Uh, this one, uh, Vincent Price plays this uh, rich guy who's invented board games, and uh, uh, so the it starts right off with him dying while he's playing a board game with his nurse and um, uh, it's kind of it's kind of the idea, but he's he's. Uh, He's got wealthy off his board games or something. And um, so he, in his will, he sets this scavenger hunt for various groups of people and uh, to get all his money, they need to find all these things. Um, so hilarity ensues. Sounds hilarious. Uh, some guy dresses, laughing up, already. dresses up as a mummy and chases children around a museum. Um, anyway, uh, the Resurrection of Zachary Wheeler, which is uh, 1971. Why do these dudes all have regular-ass names? Yeah. <laughs> horror titles. Uh, this is from 1971, and uh, this stars Leslie Nielsen as a reporter. He sees a senator, played by uh, Bradford Dillman, uh, die in a car accident. And uh, he, he has footage of this sh- uh, shown on the news right away. And uh, then, um, then everyone denies that this happened and the senator disappears and uh, uh, soon finds out there's uh, diabolical scientific things going on kind of cannibalistic not really eating but uh, using other people's bodies hmm. um, to uh, to uh, resurrect the wit- the, the rich um, yes uh, um, takes place mostly in New Mexico um, I can vouch for all but <laughs> Uh, this was such an early entry in the uh, clone movie subgenre that uh, they're not even called clones; they're called soma, oh. which is Greek for body. Um, the Curlian Witness from 1979. This is directed by Jonathan Sarno. Uh, Nancy Singler, Lawrence Turney is in a small role. Um, uh, this is about uh, plants being sentient, and a murder occurs, and. Um, the plants are the clue to tracking down who the murderers are. Bunch of narcs. Uh, uh, yeah, I found this one quite dull as well. Um, I mean, you, you know what Curlian fields are, the Curlian auras. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a Ukrainian scientist who, um, in 1939, he he realized that he, he could make photos without uh, just from high voltage oh, okay. being applied to something. In, in the first case, it was himself by accident, <laughs> and, he, and he got a photographic print off of uh, um, passing high voltage through himself. Oh, wow. But uh, in, in the 70s, by this point this movie was made, it was uh, um, people who were into psychic phenomena would say that this is uh, evidence of the uh, psychic fields and auras of people, and you can tell um, the mental state of people by the color of their aura as it was photographed. Um, but not that interesting a movie and uh, I kept thinking Dario Argento could take this same premise of the plants being the vital clue to something and make a wacky entertaining jello yeah. out of it um, Flaming Creatures uh, from 1963 this is this is a infamous underground movie in the 60s I don't, I don't hear it mentioned at all these days hmm. but back in the day this was shocking stuff 
So it was, it was shot in 1962. Uh, basically, it's a LGBTQ orgy, um, which also involves a lipstick commercial and an earthquake and a vampire Marilyn Monroe. And it was shot on the roof of the Windsor, Windsor Theatre in the Bronx. Hmm. And uh, using out-of-date film from Army Surplus. <laughs> so it and looks stellar, the, uh, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and the, the director, Jack Smith, was often uh, swinging above the characters on this rig. <laughs> so it's it's very hard to make out what's going on. Everything's really blown out and hard to make out. And uh, it had a budget of about $300. Um, uh, so they, they this is like one of the early midnight movies. Hmm. Uh, it was defended by Susan Sontag and Allen Ginsberg and... Apparently Fellini turned up at one of the showings, but it, but like nobody wanted to show it, so it, it'd often play at theaters like at midnight because that's the only time they could bring it on, and uh, they they'd like have to rig up seats and rooms and things and for people to see it. And it would, when it played festivals <laughs> in Europe, the people with the police would say no, you can't show that, so he so he'd show it in his hotel room. Jeez. Um, but yeah, Flaming Creatures finally got to see it. So Fellini showed up, but it was Jeff Fellini. Yeah, they, they reckon Fellini was there because uh, a few years later he, he made um, the Satyricon, which is oh yeah, a similar sort of idea. Yeah, for, yeah. That is a yeah, bit of a trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone was kind of getting experimental, and yeah, for Federico Fellini to be getting more weird, <laughs> it's like he's just weird in a different yeah. way. Yeah. That was it. That was it. Hmm. All right. Uh, Ziggy, you got anything else? Yeah. Um, my sister and I have been watching Death Note, which is my favorite anime. Um, it's not really horror. It's not the most, like, gory or anything. But I guess it's, like, kind of dark subject matter. Um, but I made the executive decision that she's old enough so if that comes back to traumatize her i'll take that you'll be off to college and not worrying yeah. about it <laughs> she'll yeah. be waking up screaming yeah with your parents <laughs> pretty much but she seems to like it she seems to be fine with it cool um so we've been watching that it has a really terrible netflix original movie um so i'm going to show her that mm-hmm. it's really really bad it has a musical there isn't any footage of it that's just the audio so i'm gonna make her listen to the musical um does it does it uh do all the standard anime things or does it kind of do its own thing i think that i don't watch that much anime okay i went through a phase of watching a lot of anime during quarantine because my friends watched anime and then i kind of fell out of it once i got back into like going out and doing things um but i it doesn't really over sexualize any characters and it is kind of very boring, which I appreciate because I find that a lot of the animes I watched or have watched are very flashy and very action-packed. And this one is a cat and mouse detective thing that lasts, like, it's basically two parts. And the first part is this, like, cat and mouse between a killer and the detective, and they're both working on the same, like, team to take down the killer. And then the second half... I can't explain without spoiling things, which I won't do. <laughs> okay. Um, but I really like it. It falls into the, like, the Killing Eve and the, um, like, Hannibal and a couple other things where it's, like, the 
the, the, the good guy and the bad guy both are aware of each other but can't prove it or can't, you know, kill the other person. And that is, like, my favorite trope in media. Um, but the first time I watched it, I'd stopped watching it around the end of part one because I got bored and then I came back to it and rewatched it and I love it. Um, been watching that, <clears throat> still watching Peaky Blinders and Breaking Bad. Um... Yeah, now that I'm home, all of my movie-watching time is watching TV with my family time. Oh, but I did read um, this book. I think I might have, might have talked about it before. It was called Night Bitch. It's this um, housewife and stay-at-home mom who is convinced she's becoming a dog. And um, it's, a, it's a cool book. I really liked it. It's It ends up being about, like, maternal rage, I guess, and, like... It's a pretty feminist book, but it's also, like, our narrator isn't reliable, so we don't know if she actually became a dog or if she's just crazy. Um, but it's pretty cool. It's really funny. It's, um, you know, it was, it was fun. It was a new thing for me. It was, like, a, it felt very refreshing to read. Um, yeah, that was great. I think that's probably it for me. Okay. Will, do you have anything new? No. Oh, okay. That's easy. <laughs> I have uh, two things I watched that are, uh, well, one one is new and one is not. I watched, um, I think, four or five episodes of Alone Season 7. Um, something I didn't really feel compelled to watch, but somebody I know was kind of uh, saying it was awesome and interesting. I thought, you know what? I opened Netflix and it automatically played the trailer for me. And I'm like, Oh, that does look interesting. Uh, this is 10 people who are on this, I guess, reality TV contest to go be completely alone. I guess they're in the same area, but far enough away from each other where they're not going to run into each other. They, they have a better chance of running into a grizzly bear than they do each other. They didn't say that. That's kind of my observation. Uh, the cash prize is five hundred thousand um, dollars. If they can, what survive? If they could, if they can make it to the hundred day mark without tapping out. Uh, tapping out is just basically you call on the sat phone and they will come rescue you. And you know it could be for any reason, but you're just like I'm out of I'm out of this game. Come get me, get me out of here. Uh, they're um, north of Vancouver, British Columbia which will tie into our movie tonight. <laughs> um, and it doesn't look like the Vancouver of X-Files. It looks more like Alaska. Mm -hmm. So it's far enough north to where when winter comes, um, and, you know, you don't have to go too far into the wilderness in the Pacific Northwest to, to get some uh, scary wildlife and some uh, inhospitable terrain that looks totally normal, like you could catch a fish or hunt a bird, but the birds are like, nah, I'll see you guys later. And the fish are like, mm, I'm doing other things. So people are trying to catch fish. <laughs> the fish are just like, nope, <laughs> not today. Uh, so they're all pretty much starving and trying to eat all kinds of leaves and berries and crap that's not going to sustain them. <laughs> and so you get to see a lot of that. And people do start to go a little crazy after not too many days. The madness sets in pretty fast. Oh, yeah. I tap out so fast. Yeah. I think I'd make it a week or two. 
then if the if the fish were having that kind of attitude i'd be like nah i gotta go <laughs> <laughs> fuck those fish take me home yeah. <laughs> you know if, if you're using a proper lure and your line is far enough out and you know you catch this little four inch fish and that's all the, that you've eaten for like seven days yeah, i don't know it's probably time to go Anywho, that was really, uh, so far, really fun and interesting. I'm, I'm curious where it goes from here. One guy obviously put on a bunch of weight before the show. He's like, well, worst case scenario, my body will eat this fat. <laughs> and uh, so he seemed like he had a good, a good strategy with that. I rewatched They Live. I haven't watched this mm. in probably a couple of years now. And this is the 1988 John Carpenter film. Uh, it's being critical of the Reagan administration. He said as much. So it's not me reading into it. And uh, have you seen it, Ziggy? Mm-mm. Okay. I don't want to spoil it then. Okay. <laughs> uh, although it's from 1988. Uh, this one is about this drifter from Denver. And by the way, John Carpenter uh, escaped from New York. Snake Plissken was arrested in Denver. I think he's trying to rob the mint. I don't know. John Carpenter's got stuff to say about Denver, but I don't <laughs> think he's been like lived here or maybe he hasn't even been here maybe the airport pissed him off but anyway um this uh this one is uh, rowdy roddy piper at the time a top of his game pro wrestler out of work drifter guy who heads down to la to try and find some work apparently he's a tradesman of some sort he's got his own tools he says and uh looks like he hopped off a train maybe we're not sure <laughs> And so he tries to get a job on a construction site. It seems like they're going to put him to work. And then he has to kind of go to this sort of, uh, it's almost like a homeless camp where a lot of people who are just sort of down on their luck are sort of having a soup kitchen of their own and a place to sleep. Uh, Maybe hot showers or something. And at some point he's just kind of wandering around nearby and comes across this pair of glasses. When he puts them on, he sees all of these messages on all kinds of things and he's like, what is this? This is crazy. And um, the billboards say, obey. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, no big secret now. That's where Shepherd Fairy got that. <clears throat> but the money says, this is your God. And a lot of these things are like, stay submissive, stay asleep. Mm-hmm. And then 1984 he, <clears throat> happening. Yeah. But it happens in 88. Yeah. So um, this, is, uh, this is a thing where it's like, oh, where's this going to go? And then all of a sudden he, he turns at the magazine stand and sees a dude with like this weird skull alien face and he's like what (laughs) and then he sees more of them and uh he goes from what the hell is this to i'm on a crusade in you know very short uh sequence of events and as one would (laughs) you know wouldn't you just lose your damn mind and Uh go on a rampage yeah kill a couple cops take their guns (laughs) so it's that's where it goes fine uh, now the spoilers are like the first 10 minutes of the movie i'm not going to spoil anything else for you i'll check it out yeah yeah so there's that um totally worth a rewatch totally worth a first watch <laughs> and final destination jolian you picked this i did all right um had you watched it recently uh no how long has it been it must have been around when it came out <laughs> so 2000 yeah uh, so I, I know I've seen one and five, and then Ziggy worked out I'd seen two. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you had not seen this one before. You I've saw seen, the one. I've seen the first one, and I've seen the last one, and I saw the second one. Okay, uh, because a long of the, lo- time ago. the logging truck. The logging truck. Yeah, was the yeah. One, yeah. 
Have any of you been in traffic behind a logging truck since seeing that movie? Yes. Well, not the logs, but the big metal like tubes. Yeah, where it's rebar or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, no. I'm, I'm changing lanes yep. or, or just pulling over. Yeah, <laughs> just, just give them about a 10-minute head start. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody posted a picture of, of uh, traffic where there was some cars behind a logging truck and a bunch of them in the other lane. And it's like, yeah. these people have seen Final Destination yes. too. <laughs> these have not. It's also like, my dad hasn't seen it, but he always moves. And I was like, oh, it's because Final Destination 2. He's like, no, it's common sense. It's like, okay. Yeah. I've yeah. always been nervous about that. When, uh, the the novel um, uh, Return of the Living Dead, there's a there's an incident in that where they, this truckload of rebar comes yeah. off and kills they people. They do it in a lot of movies. Um, the Omen? For me, they did it in Scream 2. That's where I saw it first, the rebar coming through the windshield. Oh, yeah. Do it in Scream 2 or 3. I can't remember. I think it's 2. Now, the trick is to make sure that if the audience covers their eyes, it's still going on. Uh-huh. <laughs> the omen. Yeah. Plate glass. Yes. Head comes off. Tumbles. Tumbles. Oh, you covered your eyes. Still tumbling. <laughs> it's still tumbling. <laughs> yeah, that was shocking. Yeah, it, it's time. Well, the, it's still. This, this movie does something that was shocking in its time, which isn't anymore. Oh, the the busing? Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> apparently that that was, uh, I mean, we're probably jumping the gun here, but um, that was so shocking to audiences at the time yeah. that they had to edit in bits of them, like fixing drinks and stuff, for like 40 seconds or so after that, because the audience was just making so much noise that they couldn't follow the what was happening next. <laughs> so they had to put in some boring stuff happening for almost a minute. They had, they had to have a little bring down time. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense because well it's a trope now yeah. yeah but yeah then it was like who's ever done this before like the it seems like just an editing trick but there maybe is some other filming technology something digital i don't know what it took to make it look so real mm-hmm. <laughs> so the busing was pretty the, the busing we're trademarking that now nope it's old <laughs> oh is it is yeah. that what it's called but okay. all right so you know there's like a dozen characters in this movie are named after horror makers, right? Yes. One of them is Val Luton. Okay. Val Luton did Cat People. Yes, saw that Cat one. People is where the term busing comes from. That's the That's scene where I the knew. woman yeah. is walking along and then uh, you, you're set up to for something monstrous to happen. Sudden noise, it's just a bus. Yeah. That's, That's what I thought. That's where busing comes from. Term in this was. one, it's like uh, it's, the, it's the trope of someone stepping into a road and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, going out... 200 miles an hour is <laughs> as public transport vehicles. <laughs> Maxim. And keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you see there's so many movies now. Either someone's in the road and a bus hits them or they're in the car and they get hit, they get T-boned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That happens. They're usually, so, they're usually running their mouth when it happens. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, so the bus was really predictable for me. And, like, really, like, I was like, I've seen this a thousand times. But the plane crash mm. was, like, so weird for me. I was like, what? How'd they get away with this? Because I'm a post-9-11 baby. Yeah, this so was I a no... year before. Uh-huh. So I, like, when watching this, I was like, how did they get away with this? This is ridiculous. Like, I hadn't seen a plane crash really like that. You know, like, it seemed like it was, like, kind of an older movie. I was like, how'd they do this? And I looked up the timeline. I was like, oh, that's how. Mm-hmm. But it's really weird to me because, like, after 9-11, like, the plane crash in a movie is handled so differently or it's like because the plane crash and this one is never explained really or you know it's like there was a systematic failure and they explain all the things 
because, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's either, like, over-explained or yeah, non-existent. Yeah, there's a bit in the news report about how it happens, and then it sets off this chain of... Yeah. It eventually becomes a fire. Yeah, they they kind of just gloss over it, mm-hmm. you know, real quickly, just sort of go, yeah, yeah. It's there's a casual action- thing that happens, which yeah. is not the case for any other real movie that I've seen, because I don't think so. I haven't seen a lot that are just casual plane crashes that are, like, inciting incidents. Yeah. You know, so, and you think well, a year later, this the plot would have gone really differently with this kid because he's raving and and getting off the plane, and then the plane blows up, and the FBI get a hold of him. Yeah. A year later, that no, this would be a very different movie. I was so confused the whole time he was talking to like the police or the FBI. I was like, when are they going to accuse him of being a terrorist? Mm-hmm. I was like, when is this going to get really serious and not like a fun slasher movie? There were simpler <laughs> times. People weren't thinking about terrorists as much. I guess not. Give it a year. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, at the time this came out, I do I do remember thinking, oh, it's just another you know movie full of pretty young people just doing whatever. But it did seem like it 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 was. Uh, it wasn't like every other movie. I mean, yeah, they were all the young, good-looking people doing whatever thing, and someone's getting killed or they're getting picked off one at a time. But what was different about this one is like the Grim Reaper's got a plan, and you can't stop him. So Rube Goldbergian things happen. So that, yeah, that was different. Which is kind of my least favorite part about these movies is that they like make it through like death has a plan, and then it's this weird like supernatural thing. I like the ability to just be like. They didn't die, so now they're gonna. It's just gonna happen. And then going with the weird, the marble goes down and it knocks down a domino, and then this kid's dead. <laughs> Causes the dog to drool, and the sponge gets yeah. heavy, and then it pulls yeah. the candle down. Yeah. And that is... Wait, no, actually, it's my second least favorite thing. My least favorite thing is that her name is Clear Rivers. Isn't that her name? Clear <laughs> yes, River? Clear, Clear Rivers. Rivers. That is the worst name ever. Um, I... Ooh, terrible. I think it's like a um, reference to clairvoyancy and... Oh, because she's got psychic powers as well, and she she yeah. she's at least empathic with uh, the Alex Browning character. Hmm. So was that a reference to um, Todd? Yeah, Alex Browning, Todd Browning, mm-hmm. Billy Hitchcock, mm-hmm. Valerie Luton, uh, Agent Shrek. <laughs> As in Max Shrek, yeah, not the ogre. Not the okay, ogre. Yeah. okay. Just um, gonna be clear here, Ziggy. Todd Wagner. Um, George Wagner is the director of The Wolfman. Oh yes. Um, you got uh, uh, Terry Cheney. Mm-hmm. As Lon Cheney. Um, got two Wolfman references. Yeah. Well, a- Agent Ween is uh, from Robert Ween, who did Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, you got uh, Christine Dreyer. After Carl Dreyer, and um, you got a character named uh, Murnau. Of course. Yeah, after the director of Nosferatu. I think uh, Todd Wagner, they also use his name because Todd is um, German for death. Oh. So when you get that magazine torn up and Todd lands on his his knee, mm. just that scrap saying Todd. Okay. A bit of foreshadowing there. Yeah. They do a bit of that in I this movie. I love the foreshadowing in this yeah. movie. It's so fun. It feels like a whodunit, but you're watching it happen, you know? Like, you're trying to figure out as it's happening. Yeah. More of a who gonna do it. Yeah. Or how's it gonna get done? <laughs> yes. So were there any other 
uh, clever things they worked in there? Clever or not? Well, references? Yeah. Uh, Mostly just the names. Yeah. I thought they'd align them more up with with the, what the original people did in their movies. Like, mm. There's no Hitchcockian death for Todd. or okay. I mean, He dies in a shower, but... Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, he I'm, does. The, the, um, I was expecting the Val, Val Luton character to get hit by a bus or <laughs> killed by a cat or something <laughs> like that to match up with Val Luton, but, the, but they're not. Um, but you're saying that this is like a, kind of like a slasher. Um, so here's, here's a bunch of teens getting knocked off. But I uh, thought about the differences between Final Destination series and slasher movies. Um, first thing is um, that I thought of was um, uh, the hero is aware of what's going on mm-hmm. early on. Like slashers, the final girl becomes aware in the last act, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, also, slasher movies, the teens are busy having fun in various ways, and then they get knocked off. Um, but in this one... Uh, uh, they they know they're going to die, um, and they and they so the the whole plot they're concerned with avoiding dying. Mm-hmm. They're not mm-hmm. they're not having fun at all. Right. It's much more nihilistic. They and think... I guess like also there's no like it's not a person they could stop if they try. Right. It's like a forced. I think for me it feels the same. Or like I put it on in the same scenario. Like if I'm doing something else, because like it's fun, campy death, and it's just. It feels like a stupid teen movie, but with like weird campy deaths. I don't right. know. And I like the series because as the series goes along, the campy deaths get weirder. Yeah, like it's just the ridiculous. Third and fourth one are my favorites for sure, because I've seen all of them. Okay. I think I'm pretty sure. Um, I, I find the uh, the characterization of death as this accountant <laughs> <laughs> who's like trying to cross off the little boxes yeah. but he's also got this or he or she has got a sense of humor about it mm-hmm. but they don't just like take yeah. it heart and stop it it's got to line up half a dozen things mm-hmm. well i i do like that the the water that came from over by the toilet yeah uh, made its way back when it was yeah. done doing what it needed mm-hmm. to do you know of course that's what would happen the supernatural element, yeah, well, what's yeah. it afraid of yeah Getting found out yeah what are you gonna do put, what, what's, what's death care put it in jail I also found it, uh, they might explain this in the series to come, although there's so many inconsistencies in the mythology. Um, uh, death is, is this accountant with a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Who's giving him premonitions? Mm. Because whoever that is, has got a sense of humor as well. Because they know he's not going to get away. Right. No, it's- after the second one, they entirely stop trying to connect like the theory in like the third one on her own the main girl and her friends figure out that like they're dying in an order but they have no idea how to stop it or like what to do there's no like it's death coming for us they're just like we're gonna die in this order Uh but the first and second one try to have like a consistent like overarching plot of like figuring things out and trying to understand it and i I really do appreciate that the series was just like nah screw it people want to see the like (laughs) there's like someone like flattened on the ground by like a pane of glass that's falling from oh, a skyscraper. Yeah. yeah, that one's pretty remarkable. It's like that's what we're here for. Yeah. There's a there's a tanning bed death in the third one that is just so good. Love to see it. 
do they do a lot of setup to where you think it's going to be this death and then they then they disappoint you and then turn right around and do something else? I think they do that in the fifth one. Definitely. Yeah, that I think that they got real tricky about the deaths as they go along. Like um like in the third one there's like a bunch of they're, they're twice there are two separate deaths where you think it's going to be one thing and then you think it's going to be another and then it happens to be the stupidest thing in the room <laughs> and they they do it yeah and i think that they learned because i think that they learned like what people liked and that like i feel like the demographic for these movies are just people that are like i want to see some stupid deaths <laughs> overcomplicated stupid yeah. deaths yeah that's what we came for mm-hmm. that and popcorn yep that's why i'm here right um Will, what's your history with, with this uh, franchise or this particular movie? I think I've seen the first one. <laughs> so you didn't even see the logging truck one? The no. Second, uh, you've the seen... roller coaster one? That one's my favorite, personally. Um, Is Kiss having a fight under the roller coaster? <laughs> yeah. Someone spills a Slurpee and then Kiss was having a fight. Die. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, hell, I don't remember anything about this movie. Uh <laughs> think there was a windmill kill at the end on this one yeah did, the, did you... they end up in paris yeah it's a neon sign and then yeah the the guy gets creamed by this giant sign which kind of by the time it hits him it says 180 which is the flight number it did, yeah it's the flight number and oh, it denotes a circle right. coming back around oh yeah, yeah, it does. It starts off the yep. series mm-hmm. again. Now, couldn't they have worked some dialogue in where somebody would say, "It's a sign," and then the sign kills them? <laughs> you know, there's, that would be that would be creative. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's there's a. Have you ever seen the movie Hexed, where this woman, uh, she becomes a famous model or something and comes back to her small town. She becomes famous for something, but it turns out that she's some sort of evil witch. And at some point, the dude that's figured her out. Uh, gets pushed out of a window. He, he catches a letter on a sign and he's hanging from the sign. And he's yelling, why, why? And he's hanging from the letter, why? <laughs> uh, well, there was a witch movie in the 60s called Burn, Witch, Burn. Uh, I think he had another title. I've seen that, yes. yeah. Yeah, where, whereas there's a teacher and he doesn't believe in witchcraft or anything. Mm-hmm. And he's got a, he's, he's written on the chalkboard, uh, I don't believe yeah, and of course, when he dies, he, he kind of rubs out the chalk partially, so changes his message. I like it. Um, yeah, uh, uh, is it a pattern of all these movies that it starts off with some spectacular mass death, mm-hmm. which you can relate to, like Fear of Flying or Roller Coasters mm-hmm. or whatever, and then it kind of gets down to the particulars, and then it. Then, so it starts off with something you can identify with, but then it goes into the increasingly ridiculous... I don't know. I feel like if there's like a really weird cause and effect, like ladder death, mm. I climb a ladder and I'm like, oh my god. I don't love the Final Destination movies. I like the third and the fourth one, I think. But I think about them all the time. Because I always have a moment where, where yes. there's, there's like a weird deja vu moment or, you know, like sometimes you just get like the intrusive thoughts of like, you're like, I could fall down these stairs right now. Right. And you like see it. Anytime that happens to me, I'm like, oh shit, I'm about to die. Um, but like, yeah, I climb a ladder at work. I'm like, there we go. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you more cautious, doesn't it? So that's good. Hey, um, you kind of stay away from 
places where water and electricity are near each other, you know, or gas stoves and yeah, it's nothing as characters in this movie do there's like the homes are death traps i mean homes homes have got plenty of dangerous things in them but you've got this and you've got one or the third character uh, val she's she's in this house and it's just she puts a towel over the knife rack and <laughs> switches on the gas and Oh, she's just she's just surrounded by <laughs> she's asking for it and then you've got the artist who's just got like canisters of butane and things mm-hmm. all over the place no and not to keep talking about the other movies that we haven't watched yet but like they <laughs> throw in the weirdest stuff because i think that they learn they like make it more ridiculous make it more and because there's one where like this girl gets in an elevator with a guy who's got a hook for a hand and a box of baby dolls and it's like I have no idea what's about to happen, but she's going to die somehow. And she does. It's like, I think it's very on brand for these movies. So the first, so Todd gets killed. He's, um, he's in his bathroom. Uh, he's, he gets hung in the bath eventually by getting the cord, the laundry cord wrapped around his neck. Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. And so he's sitting on the toilet because he's the, he's, a toilet buddy with his with Alex, isn't he? They go yeah. off to the toilet together. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, the toilet starts leaking and the fluid comes across the floor, and then he he slips and falls and the wire goes around his neck, etc. That's kind of an old timey like the, <clears throat> the the laundry cord thing. It's kind of an old timey thing, isn't it? <clears throat> it's like a clothesline, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Who's got that in their bathroom anymore? I do. You have one of those? I'm going to. Oh, you're well, going for to... dorm. Well, okay. I have to hang one in my room for my clothes. I okay. Dorm life. Broke. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You have them in Japanese hotels. Oh, okay. Um, oh, so they were in hotels in Hawaii too. That makes sense. Um, so then, um, Claire and Alex break in to visit Todd's body, uh, apparently because they think they can get clues from the body. Some using psychometry or something hmm and then they meet tony todd who's playing william bloodworth <laughs> of course he who's is the magic black info dump character yes and uh yeah and he, he tells them about death having a plan yeah yeah well, they could they couldn't figure it out any other way other yeah, than yeah it's have... a real mangled mythology <clears throat> uh, and the second death is terry cheney who gets hit by the bus um, third death is Val, who ends up being knifed by her own knives as she lies on the floor. But she has to like throw hot water over the floor and then then <laughs> drip a stream of vodka, which is apparently very inflammable. Yes. I don't think it is actually in reality. It's not. Um, it's not proof enough or something. Yeah, you have to... Like if if you if you go to like hibachi dinner, um, when they want to set the uh, little onion volcano on fire, yeah, they use vodka, but they but it also cooks off some of the other moisture that isn't alcohol. Then they ignite it. Yeah, but you would have to get to like, well, notoriously uh, one fifty one rum, you know, one hundred and fifty one proof is mm-hmm. the one that you use to light a drink on fire. Yeah, Christmas puddings use brandy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, then Alex grabs the knife out of her for some reason. Yeah. It stands there going, duh, duh, and throws it down. Um, then the house blows up. 
And then the next one is uh, Billy. Um, real quick, the, the, one of the other characters says later, yeah, the fire caramelized the blood. <laughs> you got your <laughs> fingerprints off of it and your footprints, you dope. <laughs> they don't say that, but but they did say caramelized, caramelized the blood. The blood. <laughs> is that even a thing? Did it, did it arouse your cannibal instincts? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Caramelized blood. Blood brulee. Delicious, yeah. Yes. Um, so then, then the uh, Carter stops his car on the railway tracks. Uh, but Alex has had a premonition of the belt breaking and rescues Carter. So mm-hmm. then death skips to Billy and semi-decapitates him with a piece of shrapnel. Yeah, it's like across the mouth. Yeah. So this is another instance of the useless premonition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which continues throughout the series. <clears throat> they don't drop that one. Right. They drop trying to make sense of anything, but they keep those. Well, good. They got rid of that. <laughs> and then the fifth one was going to be the original ending. Alex dies pulling the power cable off the car, with cl- uh, which Clear is trapped in. And he, he burns to death. But uh, by that time, they've had sex and... And it jumps to like nine months later and uh, she has a baby and her and Carter are still around. Hmm. Um, but uh, they, after, I think, the test audiences, they didn't like it. So they went with the ending where they go off to Paris. Oh, OK. Hmm. Do you think this put people off of travel? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> give it a year. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you didn't have to think about it for very long before some other stuff happened. Well, you think the early 2000s, you get into all that bro horror, you get hostel and, and touristers and something with fear of fear of dark people. Yeah, fear of East European people. Yeah, yeah is hostel any good? I keep getting recommended that one and I don't know. Uh, I like the second one better where it's the women and they, um, yeah, they... I don't want to give it away, okay. but uh, it turns out better for them than it does for the guys. Okay. Hmm. Uh, and it did give me a sense of dread because having travelled around Europe by myself, knowing how vulnerable you are, it it really tapped into that. Oh, I'm gonna be doing that at some point, but, so maybe I shouldn't see. So it. what do you what do you mean when you say that? Like how? In what ways are you more vulnerable? Like say, well, back in the day, no cell phone. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, not being able to speak the languages, mm-hmm. um, you're on your own. You're 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 vulnerable to, you know, being taken advantage of. Yeah, that would be true. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you know, you're just bumming around youth hostels. You're not in the best part of town. Right. Yeah, I knew a guy who uh, who got robbed in uh, in Rome by some somebody threw a, like a a cup or a can of fake vomit on him. Someone else ran up to help him Mm -hmm. and some other person ran up and stole his camera back when people had cameras. Um, yeah, real, like just came out of nowhere. It was just like bing, bang, boom. And it was over with in seconds. Yeah. Naples is notorious for people on bikes whipping through a crowd and snatching bags and stuff. Oh, it can happen in, you know, you can get ripped off in London and, sure. in a flash. Yeah. Wow. But, um, yeah, yeah, you're in, a, you're in a vulnerable position. No, that totally makes sense. But, yeah, I would say, like... Plus with all the cannibals out there. <laughs> the, 
<laughs> cannibals are the worst of it. I was actually people think... caramelizing blood. Caramelizing yeah. blood. Especially yeah. if you're uh, on vacation in in like Western Canada and there's all those starving TV contestants. Oh God, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just you don't know who you're gonna run across. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know who you're gonna eat. No. Yeah. So, um, so this this uh, this goes along, getting more and more far fetched as as each as each death happens, till it just gets simpler for a moment there. Like they, it goes from Rube Goldberg machines to just like boom, hit by a bus. Do you know what Rube Goldberg? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar. So before him, there was this British guy named W. Heath Robinson, who was a brilliant illustrator. But uh, one of the things he also did was illustrations of machines which made ordinary actions incredibly complicated like oh. <laughs> boiling eggs and making christmas pies and whatever yeah this is bizarre the back to the future mechanisms doc intro like feeding the dog yeah or yeah. the or peewee's big adventure making yeah. breakfast yeah yeah so um yeah i remember seeing this one and i don't know if it was whether I waited for the rental or if I saw it at the theater, but uh, I was just like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think I need another one of these. So it must have been a rental, is my best guess. And uh, it, it did something different. I, I have to give it that. And, and I think something that didn't occur to me when I was seeing it for the first time was really that it was, you know, nobody was having a good time, like you said. I, I don't think that occurred to me then. It was just like, oh, it's the usual stock and slash situation, except for no one's like, out at the cabin and having a laugh and let's go skinny dipping or whatever. And, you know, and all of a sudden Jason Voorhees is lopping their heads off or whatever, <laughs> or other creative beatings and stabbings. It's, uh, it's like a Friday the 13th that starts out with crazy Ralph going, you're all doomed. <laughs> and then, and then all the characters are going, yeah, we are. Oh shit. We are. And they can't do anything about it. You know? Yeah. The harbinger was right. <laughs> that is kind of, kind of different. I like that. Um, what was interesting about this one to me was that uh, it, other than it's strange, you know, being this, such a precursor to 9-11 and, uh, you know, something else that made flying scary. Uh, this one made so much money with, I don't know what their campaign was like, with their advertising campaign, but the budget was $23 million. And it made 112.9. Let's just call it 113 million. Uh, yeah, to to make more than four times the money, it's four and a half times the money right off the get. That's that's pretty impressive for something that came out of nowhere. This was originally a spec script for an X Files episode. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how they could have done this in. 48 minutes which would be what it takes to make an hour of television or they could have done it in two parts but um i don't know how they would have worked the investigation into it um with just less <clears throat> just less on-screen deaths i guess maybe they just hear that blank died in the shower and they'd be like that wasn't a suicide yeah because there was a very specific way that uh, scully and Mulder would investigate things or why they would be investigating uh, they can have different rules for these guys, the investigators in this one, one of whom was Daniel Roebuck, um, who, uh, if you've seen um, Bubba Hotep, he's, he's one of the uh, orderlies that comes and gets the bodies. 
So yeah, that's kind of. I cool. guess next, as far as you'd have to start off uh, some way down the list. Mm. So you'd have the guy who's predicting it all, and then by the time that uh, that Mulder and Scully see him, several deaths have happened, so mm. it, they know he's right. Yeah, and he he looks suspicious, but he also looks like he's right about what he's doing, what he's um, what, what he's envisioning. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the other thing about this one, uh, total waste of Tony Todd in a movie. It's like Mortician, and like you said, he was the, uh, you know, the magic black guy who drops the exposition and sort of mostly disappears from the film. I think he makes another appearance later, but just such an on-the-nose name, Bloodworth, you know, <laughs> William Bloodworth. Well, they don't call him that in the movie, do they? Oh, they, they oh, I guess maybe they don't. <laughs> But it's his funeral home is called Bloodworth Funeral Home or whatever. Anyway, um, you I think you need to make Tony Todd, you know, at least a cog in this whole machine rather than just like exposition guy. But you know, maybe he can have some effect on on uh, or appear to maybe have some uh, ability to change the course of what's happening. But they don't do any of that. It seems. Um. Yeah, this uh, this one um, didn't really put me off of wanting to fly. I don't know if, if that was like a common thing back then or not, but it didn't bother me a bit. I'd seen way worse things happen in horror movies. I'm already pretty scared of flying, which makes living in Hawaii kind of suck because I fly back and forth for like seven hours every time. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't think that this movie really scared me either because it's not really about the plane crash. Like, no. It's about death coming at you in weird domino ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was there um, was there anything that particularly worked for you other than uh, the deaths were creative and fun? Um, Did you believe the characters the way they interacted? No. <laughs> But I don't think I really needed to. Like, I, I think that I was just in it for the fun deaths. <laughs> like, I think I really was just like, yeah. And I think that's why I, ke- I kept watching them. And I think that they do get better as they go on and the characters get more believable. Yeah. Um, but I don't also, I also don't think that I, like, hated any of the characters in this one. I was like, that you're not a believable character. Yeah, the, wor- the worst guy, the guy with the fast car. He was the worst guy, wasn't he? Carter, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he, even he wasn't I mean he, he should have been more dismissive of the nerd with the premonitions mm-hmm. he, should, he should have just been like yeah whatever mm-hmm. and just like off on his own business and then get killed separately from the pack yeah but, but like the characters get more tropey as the series goes on too like I felt like they get more two dimensional yeah which is part of the fun I guess because they do start having fun oh as because okay. a, a lot of people are like no you're crazy I'm gonna go do whatever hmm and then the deaths happen anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie, the first Final Destination is like surprisingly dark, I guess, for, I, not for like a horror movie, all horror movies are dark, but it's surprisingly like depressed. I don't know. They're like, we're going to die. And then it's very like emo the whole time. Well, look at the first Nightmare on Elm Street. You yeah. know, there's a, some mystery there and a lot of darkness there. And then by the second movie, you know, Freddy Krueger is moonwalking and high-fiving and cracking jokes and... <laughs> whatever you know it's it, it, he goes from being some sort of a th- dark threat to being like you know a comedian with mm-hmm. a bunch of one-liners and zingers 
So uh, that's is that's part of why you don't like Nightmare on Elm Street, Julian? Yeah, it's like, uh, weren't you a child murderer? Yes, that was my that? struggle also. <laughs> I saw like two of the Nightmare on Elm Streets and I was like, oh, maybe he's a cool villain. And then they made him like a child murderer and like he like molested kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, never mind. Your jokes aren't funny anymore. Yeah. But get off the stage. People dressing their kids up as him for Halloween. Maybe we should do that (laughs) franchise some other time when we're really desperate. But um, (laughs) the the other main thing I really didn't like about that that series (laughs) is um, the concept is good. He kills people in their dreams. Yes. Uh, You can't get away. I've seen films where they use use dreams. uh, I've watched... Cocteau and Fellini and so on and you know dream sequences can be wonderful beautiful uh, they're going to be dreamy but I found that the, all of them in the Elm Street series just crass and st- stupid they're just g- excuses for gags they didn't feel dreamy at all mm-hmm. it, it was a it yeah. was a yeah was, there was a potential there that was blown from the start yeah it, it's yeah it's disappointing you know at first it was like it was the novelty of it being a new a new take on, you know, how to work the slasher in and make him do his thing. But after a while, it was like, yeah, this is just getting old. Yeah. And I also had to sneak out to see it, so it was disappointing. Yeah, it's like, I sneaked out for this? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> this is supposed to be subversive or, you know, horrifying. It's like, eh. Yeah. Well. Hmm. Uh, so, we, um, so we get all the way to the end of this thing, and... Uh, and we assume that death is going to just continue his work, his great works. Is this thing aware that it's going to have a sequel, like, before it even ends? I think that the end works really well if it was standalone. I think that because of how the end is, when they do the second one, they have to readdress the first one. And it, like, makes the second one worse. <laughs> it is the worst part is they go back I'm, I'm going to spoil things go they ahead. go back to visit Claire because she lives she's committed herself to a psych ward to protect herself because you can't you know weird death god can't get you in a padded room and basically she's just like sorry you guys are also cursed with this you're gonna die now and like they waste so much time on that it's so useless but i feel like if this were a standalone the end would work really well for it mm-hmm. because you're like oh dun 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 mm-hmm. and that's it yeah well uh i think we covered all the the plot points and the shortcomings pretty well um should we do the recommends <laughs> sure i recommend one three and five <laughs> <laughs> the odd numbers only yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'd skip two entirely and uh, four I'd watch backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like Memento or Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jolien, what about you? Yeah, uh, overall I liked it. Yeah. So it would, yeah. Just, just something different, wasn't it? Yeah. And what about you, Ziggy? I'd say yes. I think that three and four are more exciting <clears throat> i think that they get more exciting as they go along but you know with any franchise once they get like too many sequels it's like getting worse again <laughs> i think that three and four are, like peak um yeah, and you also don't need to watch the first one to watch the second one or the third or the like you could just watch whichever one you want 
Um, but yeah, I would literally recommend one, three, and four. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I remember really liking five. I, is so, that the one where they're in a mall? I'm like the elevator. the bridge the scene. They oh, wait, okay. I have they, seen that one. That one's good too. They wait till 2003 to do the second one. And then 2006 to do the third one. And then 2009, they, they like multiples of three mm-hmm. in their in their years. It's kind of interesting. And so maybe just do three, four, and five. Skip one and two. And then one and two was like they were trying to do something with the plot. It was experimental, but in a bad way. Just do three, four, and five. It's camp. It's good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I recommend this one just based on the fact that it it's it's different than everything else happening uh, at the time, especially and. Um, you know, we've, we've gotten a whole lot of Chuckies and a whole lot of Freddies and, you know, this is just what happens in the, in the world of, um, of uh, movie making is, Hey, that worked. Let's go back to the well. Hey, it kind of worked almost as well the second time. Let's go again. Well, that kind of failed. Let's wait two years, three years, four years, whatever, and try again. They just don't stop. And, you know, let's get an original idea once in a while or surprise us with a really outstanding sequel, which can happen. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that one of the later ones is better, and it had something to do with uh, the people directing it. The one guy likes to film while cruising down the, the street on rollerblades. Apparently he's a really good rollerblader, <laughs> and instead of some weird dolly stuff, I don't know if this might have been you know, Final Destination 3 or 4, but apparently this guy is just going like a bat out of hell with the camera in his hand, hmm. which is like big risk to smash the camera up. And mm-hmm. and he's getting whatever this tracking shot is or in, in he's going in and out of cars and, you know, weaving around cars, I should say. And, and <laughs> apparently it's it looks like how the hell did they get this shot? And it's a dude on rollerblades. Hmm. <laughs> and it's like our insurance doesn't cover you getting your bones broken or the camera getting smashed to bits. Which didn't happen. He just got a really cool shot. That's cool. I, I would have to do a little, you know, detective work to find out which one that was. But I think, you know, maybe that's the better one, whichever one that is. But I, I, I still nonetheless recommend this one. Um, any, anything else about it before we call it a show? I don't think so. All right. Well, listeners, thank you for listening. Stay off the moors. <laughs>